Loving God, you create the world and all the people. You make bread and wine and all good things. You are holy and we praise you. Jesus Christ, child of God and friend of us all, you are with us today as we will break bread and share wine. You are Lord and we love you. Holy Spirit, breath of God, moving in all creation, you bring us close to God and make us holy and strong. You are here and we adore you. Loving God, in the company of all your people, we come to you and your presence is joy to us. We come here on the first day of the week to meet with you and with each other and listen for your word for each one. We're ready. We're ready to break bread and to drink wine and to remember again the stories of our faith and to be changed by being here with you. As we worship in the company of angels, surrounded by saints and embraced by your love, let us give ourselves openly and freely as you give yourself to us in tenderness and love. Loving God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we worship you, the one holy and eternal God. So let us confess our sins. God of justice, and forgiveness, we confess that we live in a world in which some are hungry even for bread, many are sad or hurt, and there is much that is unfair and unjust. We confess that in our own lives we do not always do what is right or turn away from what is wrong. We ask your forgiveness. We claim your love and mercy. And we ask for courage to make a new beginning in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. He also said, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Eternal God, we believe the good news of your mercy and love and rejoice that we are forgiven and free. Receive us as your children, as brothers and sisters of Jesus, part of your new community of love and give us strength to do your will today and always. Amen. Our reading this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28, and it says this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favour of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, 
Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right and or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they've been prepared for by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. High officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time today as we delve deeper into the characteristics of your first 12 disciples. Today, I ask for your blessing by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within me as we unpack more about James. Bless all of those who will be preaching your word near and far this week. Amen. So far we've looked at Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. Today there are two more brothers, James and John. Now I'm going to talk about James, but inevitably John will get mentioned as well. James was the eldest of his fam and his family were far more prominent uh, than Peter and Andrew. Often James and John are referred to as the sons of Zebedee and this signifies that Zebedee was someone who was quite important. Life was good for Zebedee. He owned a prosperous fishing uh, business. And I wonder how he felt when his sons left their nets and decided to follow Jesus. Maybe he thought that having a connection with Jesus would be good for business. However, James and John followed Jesus and saw him perform miracles, even though they didn't know who he was at this stage. Well, after two years of being with Jesus, James and John went up to the mountain with their friend Peter and they saw the transfiguration, they saw the full glory of God. And it was at that moment that they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And from that moment on, Jesus had a very special relationship with, uh, with them. I think I've mentioned before uh, how there were three groups of four, Jesus, 
tended to not be with the twelve all the time, but they were in little little groups. And so in one group we've got Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John, and in another group we've got Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas. And then in the last group we've got James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Thaddeus and Judas Iscariot. James, John, Peter and Andrew were like an inner circle as Jesus' closest friends. I imagine that when they relayed this information to their parents, Zebedee and Salome, they must have been very proud. But this is where Salome takes it all one step further. As I said in the reading from Matthew 20, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favour of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, she said that because if we flip back to Matthew 19 verses, verse 28, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or a mother, or father, or children, or their fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much as, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So James and his brother John decided to ask their mother to request that they were given the most prominent thrones. According to Matthew uh, 27, Salome was one of the many women who followed Jesus to care for his needs. And there's a little bit of a variation in Mark's Gospel in Mark 10:37. It says that the brothers themselves asked Jesus to let them sit on his right and his left. After all, they'd been in that intimate circle and they'd been disciples for as long as anybody else. So they probably thought of numerous reasons why they deserved that honour. So hey-ho, why not just ask for it? Maybe Salome was a pushy mother maybe she encouraged her sons maybe that's where they got their attitude from jesus's reply to the request was subtly re reminded that the suffering had come before the glory and he said you don't know what you're asking can you drink the cup that i'm going to drink and the point is that they didn't they had no real concept of what he was saying and in their foolish ambitious and self-confident way they answered we can we can we're able to 
They were desperate for honour. They were desperate for a high position. But Jesus didn't make that promise. Instead, he told them that you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left, that's not left for me, that's not for me to grant. These places belong to those that have been prepared for by my father. You can see how their ambition created conflicts amongst the other apostles. Because when the ten heard of it, we're told that they were indignant with the two brothers. And this game of one-upmanship lasted right up until the Last Supper. In Luke 22, verse 24, it records a dispute arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Well, I suppose that if there's one word that sums up James, it's passion. Jesus called him and his brother sons of thunder. In Luke 9, verses 51 to 56, we read that as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there didn't welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down a fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and he rebuked them and they went to another village. Let's look at a bit of history about this. Jesus represented everything Jewish that the Samaritans despised. And if Jesus was going to pass through their city on his way to Jerusalem to worship, they were going to make it as hard as possible for him. Of course, Jesus had never shown any ill will towards the Samaritans. After all, he healed the man from leprosy. He'd accepted water from the woman at the well, and he'd stayed in her village evangelising for two days. And we read that he had made a Samaritan a hero in one of his parables. In Acts 1 verse 8 it says this, he told the disciples to preach in Samaria. Like I said, he was always full of kindness and goodwill towards the Samaritans, and yet they treated him with contempt. Maybe now you can understand why James and John were filled with outrage, but what was the point they were missing here? Jesus had told them, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And a bit later in John 12:46, it says, I have come as light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. 
Jesus' example taught James that loving, kindness and mercy are far more important than a fiery personality. James was the first of the twelve to be killed for his faith. In the book of Acts, Acts 12, verses 1 to 3, it tells us the end of James's story from an earthly perspective. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. James wanted a, a crown of glory. Jesus gave him a cup of suffering. He wanted power. Jesus gave him servanthood. He wanted a place of prominence. Jesus gave him a martyr's grave. He wanted to rule. Jesus gave him a sword. But this wasn't a sword to wield, but the one that executed him. This is the only time that James was totally alone. He was still a man of passion right up to the very end. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he had been instrumental in spreading the good news and this had enraged Herod. But James was where he always hoped he would be. In fact, it's where Jesus had trained him to be, out there on the front line as the gospel news spread and the church grew. James and John were called sons of thunder, or in Mark's gospel, Boanerges. And James, this son of thunder, had learnt to control his tongue and not to be so self-centred and the Lord used him to do wonderful work in the early church. As I close this morning, let me leave you with something to ponder. Jesus's life and words are filled with countless lessons, but the one he taught about leadership and serving is probably the deepest and the one that we struggle with the most. So, if Jesus were to ask you to follow him, where would be the first place he would tell you to go? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for the example of those who completely realigned their priorities to follow you. Thank you for reminding us of your holiness and glory and draw us into your presence as we sit quietly 
give us a glimpse of yourself as your spirit finds its home in our hearts. Thank you. Thank you for your tender voice telling us not to be afraid, but to go and make disciples. Amen. And so we go with the blessing of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, resting and abiding with us now and forevermore. Amen.